and better. The older I get, I'm, some people wish they were 18 again, or if you're 18, you wish you were 17 or 16. I love the age I am. I love every age. I was visiting with someone um, recently, and, and they're really getting on, and, and we were talking a bit about heaven, you know? And here I am thinking, oh man, how cool it is when we get to heaven. Yeah. It just keeps going. Yeah. It's going to get better. Amen. Hello? <laughs> God's got wonderful good things for us. And, and I, I, I'm amazed when I look into the Bible, when I find that the God that I started serving X number of years ago when I was 16 or 17 years of age, I thought I knew what he was like back then, but he's much better. He's miles better. There's new stuff, always new stuff in the Bible. And, and the problem is, we say it and sing it and, and pray it so often, it just becomes, oh yes, it's just words. But when you stop and think about the words that are actually there, he's so much better. He loves us so much more. He cares about us so much more. And the reason he came is so that you and I can live a great life. Not obstacle-free, not hassle-free, not without mountains. But he says, actually, some of those mountains, I can get them out of the way for you. And the the really cool thing that we've been discovering with all this healing thing is some people whose time would have been up and they would be gone are still in our midst. Because there was a mountain that he, God moved for them. So that they could keep living here. And for other people, they've come to that point and they've actually died and, and, and they've gone on into a better place anyway. It's tough for us, but it's a better place. Does your life go like this? Or maybe, does your life go like this? Because <laughs> that's what Jesus wants for us. The more we find out about him, the more we get released from ourselves, the more our life becomes about other people as well as us, and being able to serve things like love from St. Albans that Alex is, is bringing towards us now. And, and we can say, yeah, I've got time for that. It, that's actually part of what I want to do in life. I want to be about bigger, bigger than who I am and what I'm doing at the present time. You know, when I came here, I found that um, 21 years ago, I found that there were kids in the youth group that had never been to Hanma and they'd never been to the snow. So straight away, we went to Hanma and we went to the snow because we're supposed to live a bigger life. And then I found that people had never been to conferences. And now we have people in the church who fly to London and go to a conference. <laughs> they didn't take me. <laughs> but maybe they will one day. Or maybe I'll decide I'll spend the money and I'll go there anyway. Because we're created for a bigger life. And we can read the Bible and we can just think we're doing the, and just do the religious thing. But actually, if we let it get underneath and down inside, it will absolutely change us. So when we, when we look at the book of Ephesians, which we're going through, and we're thinking about our identity, who God says we are, every piece of identity that we go, okay, I get it, and God, I'm going to get it down to here, we become bigger. The moment it goes from here to here, we become bigger. 
the issues and the problems and the hassles and the other things. You know that TV ad? And you bring it down to what it really is. And Paul's writing to a church in Ephesians, and it's good for us to remember, Ephesus was a real city. Sandra and I were there about just over 18 months ago. And, and it was a real city. It was a port city. It was a hub city. If you were traveling anywhere, if you were coming from Rome or going to Rome, or you wanted to go to the islands of Greece, or you were heading to Cyprus or somewhere else, you'd quite likely end up in Ephesus. So it was a place that had a vibe. It was a place that had a, had, had a mojo. It was a place that the, the celebrities of the day came to, and they holidayed there. Some of them apparently lived for several years in Ephesus. It was a place where stuff was happening. And, 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 and it was a place where there were lots of temples and lots of worship, and the worship was kind of sexually orientated in many ways, and it, it encouraged immorality out into the whole city that was there. And so there was a real pull for the world to go in this sort of way. And yet this church had been formed that we're reading about in the book of Ephesians. And it was a little church, and, and it was growing, and, and I meant to put a picture up. I'll put it up um, sometime soon, of Sandra. We went to the church. The ruins are still there, and Sandra, I took a photo of Sandra in the, in the communion table, in the baptistry pool that was there. It was real. And, and the struggle that these Christians were having to remain pure and to go after God, rather than getting pulled back into the ways of the world that could seem so attractive, were very real, just like our struggles in, in New Zealand today. And so Paul's writing to these people, and he wants them straight away. He's been their pastor for quite a number of years, but he's passed it on. And now he's writing to them, and, and, and he's saying to them, I want you to know your identity. And he speaks to them about being sons and daughters of God. He speaks to them about, about being saints. And last time I was preaching about the fact that he, he spent a huge paragraph of just word after word after word after word after word after word after word about how blessed they are. And just describing how they're blessed. And then he goes on and prays for them today. And that's what we're going to look at. And what he does is he's saying to them, you personally matter to God. Personally. God's interested in you. You matter. He appreciates you. You rock. And not only that, he's saying people actually appreciate you too. Both God and people actually appreciate you. And it's exactly the same to us. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say to them, I'm appreciated. <laughs> Not meaning you don't appreciate me, but I'm appreciated. Being unappreciated is not very nice. If you are forgotten, or if you've suddenly become invisible, or if you are rejected, or if you... Don't seem to have a voice like you once used to have. If you don't have any purpose anymore, that's not very nice to be living like that at all. And people often go to great lengths to fit into the crowd, don't they, young people? Great lengths to be part, to be accepted and to be appreciated by others. And Paul wants these people in Ephesus to know that they are appreciated and they matter to God and they matter to other human beings as well. And when we know that, we become strong. We're not pushed around by what other people think to quite the same degree. To use a common word or a, 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 a new word, we become centered. 
We, become, we get the ability to be able to stand up and not be swayed by other people's opinions. We get on the front foot instead of being on the back foot. We come into a room and we look at who we can bless rather than who can I stand next to so I'll be noticed and be part of the in crowd. You know, I was reading two articles on stuff um, this week that are about this. And this woman who said she was a feminist, she said, um, I've, I've, as I've grown older, she said, I feel like I've become invisible. She said, my voice is, doesn't carry the same influence that it once had, and my looks are no longer considered important, so I'm largely just landscaped to a lot of the people going on in life. I'm just someone they see but they don't notice. And they walk past. She said, it's not very nice. I read another one about a handicapped boy who was made to lie in a stream. And the other kids walked across him so they didn't get their feet wet. Being unappreciated is really damaging. Or it can be. And Paul is delighted in these Christians. And he personally prays for them. Have a, have a listen as I read this from a personal point of view. Ever since, Paul, this is Paul. Wouldn't you like to have Paul as a friend? Or maybe, actually, I think maybe I'd be a bit scared. But let's just say it would be nice to have Paul as a friend. Paul says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for people, God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of, Christ, of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him to be head over all things for the benefit church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, the point I want to bring out is not so much what he prays, but that Paul personally has taken these people under his wing. Can you see that? He's caring about them personally. He's showing them that they matter, that they are appreciated as human beings in their life circumstance, no matter what's going on in their life. He wants them to know that he, Paul, totally appreciates them. But he starts by, first of all, saying, God appreciates you. In verse 18, he calls them, God says they're God's holy people, rich and his rich and glorious inheritance. You know, God's appreciation of people and therefore of us is absolutely astonishing. He calls them and therefore us holy. Can I have a show of hands of how many of you are holy in, in actual conduct? How many are holy in Christ Jesus? All of us. 
And God knows the conduct. But he says, I see you absolutely holy, people. You are so welcome into my presence, not based on your performance, but based on Jesus Christ's performance, because he's given you righteousness. And he says, from that position of being holy and accepted as holy, now go and walk holy. And we still fall over, and he just loves us and says, you're holy. God's astonishing. The God that we serve (laughs) thinks of us like that. Tell the person next to you, you're super holy. Here's God's perspective for you. Holy, 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 holy. God's astonishing. And it all works legally and justly because of one God-man called Jesus Christ who came to earth. And he says, if you believe that what he's done for you is true, it's yours. He's astonishing. It's not a misprint. They're broken people, just like we're broken people, prone to sin, and yet given a perfect record from Jesus Christ. I mean, we could finish the message there and just go home or have coffee. It's astonishing. It comes down into here, and it absolutely transforms who we are. Shame has to go. Guilt has to go. It's all because of the blood of Jesus Christ that's over your life and my life. When we have a repentant heart and we just come to God and say, God, thank you for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Shame and guilt have no place in our lives. And then the Father considers us his inheritance. Now that is humanly nonsensical to me. You are God's inheritance. How could inheriting us be a rich and be rich and glorious to the Father? (laughs) I mean, God thinks differently than we think, obviously. I've seen friends receive an inheritance. What generally comes next is a new car, a trip. The folks I'm thinking of got a nice boat for summer, had it for many years, and they bought a couple of rental properties. They received a rich and glorious inheritance. Now, it came with incredible sadness because their parents were gone. But all the wealth that their parents had came to them. And the silver lining was that all of that financial help into their life was a huge blessing to them. And God looks at us and he says, you're so special you're so unique, I love you that much that you are my glorious inheritance and for all eternity, I am going to be so glad that you're mine. How crazy is God? How crazy is God? And yet that's how he actually views us. We can know it here, but we need to just allow it to drop down and spend time thinking about it. God calls us his rich and glorious inheritance. We'll be absolutely changed the lower that gets and the stronger that gets into our heart. But we're not only appreciated by, by, people, uh, by God, we're appreciated by people. Now you might say in an honest or a down moment, who appreciates me? 
Well, I do. You say, well, you're paid to appreciate me. I'd say, yeah, you're right. But someone appreciates you. Someone in your background appreciates you. Because you know, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, it's generally the result of someone praying. And there'll be people around your life who are not paid to appreciate you. They just appreciate you. You're special to them. They love you. They want the best for you. They're praying for you. And they absolutely want to see you grow up in Christ and become, all, and, become and do all that Jesus Christ ever intended for you to, for you to, um, to do. And so Paul prays, for, Paul was that person for, for so many of the churches that he began. He, he, he prayed for them. It doesn't say he prayed for them by name, but I think he did. He'd, he'd, he'd started these churches. He'd won a lot of the people to Christ. In Ephesus, he'd spent years pastoring them and speaking into their lives and fellowshipping with them and getting to know them. I think he prayed for them absolutely by name. And look at some of the things that he prayed. He prayed that their inner world, in their inner world, they'd get wisdom and knowledge of what God's will is. Because often the will of God is something that grows out of the very center of us. It comes from the revelation that God's already placed on the inside of us, and it comes from our spirit and touches our mind. And he prays that they would understand his call, God's call and purpose and plan, so that they wouldn't be having one eye on what their friends are doing back in the worldly scene of Ephesus, they'd be so caught up with what God's got for them and doing in their lives, they would want to run after him. And he's praying that they will experience God's gracious love for them personally. And he's praying that they'll experience his power. That same power that put Jesus where he is works within human beings and that they would experience some of that. And, and that they begin to see how Jesus will use this community called the church that, that is his plan and his purpose to outwork what he wants to do in the world and in their world in Ephesus. And that they would see what part they are to have, the important part they are to have in the church to actually bring transformation to their, to their world. And the amazing thing when you see the temple of, of Caesar and you see the temple of Diana or, or um the, the other name, Artemis of the Ephesians, two, two names for the same temple, and then all the other temples that are there, and then you realize Christianity won. All of them went, and Christianity took over. Not just Ephesus, but all of that area of Turkey and Greece and Europe. It just Over the next hundreds of, of years, Christianity just, just went viral and exploded. So what he's praying for these people took place. And Paul was praying for them personally because they mattered to him. And somewhere in your background or somewhere around you are people who, who absolutely care for you today. And that's today's message. You're appreciated by God and you're also appreciated by people. But I want to give you a little bit of context before finishing. And the context is interesting. I'm appreciated, big deal, or I'm appreciated, man, I'm so glad I am, because where I'm going, I need every bit of appreciation I can possibly have by the people that really matter in this world, and I've got some human beings who've got my back, and I've got a God who's got my front, and we're going for it. 
It matters because we're called to respond higher, more nobly. We're called to respond like Jesus responded. And we will get put down and we will get forgotten and we will get accused and we will get criticized and we will get neglected. They weren't crying out for Jesus, appreciate him, appreciate him. They were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And he doesn't respond in like spirit. He comes back and says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are actually doing. And we're called to that kind of living. And if we know that we are deeply appreciated, then if someone doesn't appreciate us, if someone says a hurtful thing to us, it doesn't have to be such a big thing. When I look at the, I don't, I'm not on social media, but when I look at the things that are on social media and the things that are causing arrows and darts, most of them are pretty, well, no, I'd take all that back. But there are bigger issues. And we can put some of the things that currently really get us down to the side, but it's not easy. Have you noticed how grumpy some Christians are? Not here. I mean the ones out there. Not us. Not you. But so many Christians are glass half empty. You know, they tend to be discouraging. Sandra and I really noticed this when we were building a house. It was our second house, the first one we'd ever built. We, lived, we bought a house when we got married. We lived there for five years. Um, my son, Micah, was born in that house. And then one of my best friends, or my best friend, came to me, and he said to me, he said, why don't we sell our houses, go buy sections right next door to each other, and build our homes so that we can live side by side? And we thought about it for a few seconds, and we said, yeah, let's do that. So we sold our homes, and we managed to find some land, and we, we, we bought sections side by side. And it was on a bit of a sloping um, uh, land, and ours was the section at the bottom, even though it carried on further down. And, and we'd just recently had um, the bulldozer in, and he'd been digging out the basement of our three-story house that we were building. We built a lot of it by ourselves, actually. It was so much fun. You could do stuff like that then. They, they didn't mind back in Noah's day. And, and um, anyway, my 93-year-old grandfather turned up. And so we took him down to show, us, show him the, the, the section and the house. And we said, look, you can't see it at the moment. I know there's a lot of mud, etc. But, but this is the basement. And, and then we're going to have the, the kitchen and the lounge and the bedroom and bathroom. And then on the top story, we've got another three bedrooms up there as well. And, and, and we, we showed him all this that he couldn't see. And he turned and looked at us and he said, this section is a mess. You've got into a real problem. You need to sell it and just get out of the whole thing. Why are Christians so negative? It's a good question, eh? What I've come to realize over the years is that often what comes out of a person's mouth tells you more about them than about what you're attempting and the circumstances you're facing. It tells you about what they wouldn't attempt and they haven't got faith to be able to do. But many people are negative. But how powerful it is when you find someone who's positive and who appreciates you and comes alongside you and someone who's grown in Christ enough that they know how to encourage, they know how to build you up and they, know, and they care personally about you and they know that, uh, they, they, they know that they're appreciated so they're, they're not trying to get stuff off you to make them feel good. They're trying to bless you with no strings attached 
attached. And they make you feel secure when you have someone who's doing that in your life. You know, I like hanging out with people who are like that. Do you? Someone who just got your back and always encouraging for the things that you're, you're wanting to do. God wants every one of us to be that person. But actually, being negative isn't the worst attitude that we can fall into. No, there's a lot below that of bad stuff, negative stuff. We can find we actually do the work of the devil at times because we become the accuser to so many people around us. We become like a terrorist, still a Christian, still coming to church, looking good, singing the songs. God's still working in your life, but somehow bitterness has gotten into the center of our heart. And we suddenly start to become someone who's causing all sorts of terrible things to be said and done around us. You know, God uses the community called the church to grow us up. The church on, is like a coin. On the one side, it's wonderful. You know, it's, it's good, isn't it? It's just an incredible group of people. But on the other side, it's the place where God grows us up. And it's usually through relationship, relational problems. Because we're called to... Have you noticed that there are people in the church that you don't like? If they didn't come to church, you wouldn't be offended, you wouldn't visit them, you wouldn't go and try and bring them back. Because personality-wise, you don't just get on with them at all. God's always brought people who don't like each other together. He went to Philip, who was a zealot. He was someone who wanted to get rid of the Romans. He wanted to overthrow the Romans, kill them if necessary, but let's get the Jews back ruling their own country. And he said, come follow me. And he takes a zealot with him. And they're walking down the road and they come to a tax collector, someone who's sold out to the Romans, who's, who's just given in to the Romans and, and is becoming filthy rich off all of the um, poverty and the difficulty that the Romans are um, uh, taxing the Jews with. And he, and he says, you, come and follow me too. And now he's got a zealot and a, and a sold out person side by side and he just expects them to get on. Church would be lovely if only people we liked came. And so when we come together, it's not, it's not surprising that relational difficulties from time to time spring up. The Father, I think, looks over the edge of heaven, not that I think there is an edge of heaven, and he calls everyone, Go, have a look, look. They're just about to grow up. <laughs> look, come on, angels, come look at this. St. Albans Baptist, John L. And, I won't mention a name, they're just about to grow up. Look at, look. You know, there's so much that we don't know about ourselves deep within our heart. John Wimber, who was a man in the, in the 1990s who just transformed Christianity across the West, he brought the healing movement back into the Western church, basically. He used to say, God offends the mind to expose the heart, and he doesn't mind doing it. He will offend our mind to expose our heart because there's stuff in our heart we don't know until we get offended. New Christians, 
They think the church is this amazing, lovely group of people who's just filled with love. And, and only positive things will ever happen when a community of people called the church come together, you know? And, and they're so naive. But they'll grow up. It won't be long before they feel taken for granted. What do you mean I'm on the vacuuming roster again? I vacuumed last time. They'll feel taken for granted. They'll feel abused. They'll feel X. And, and, then, and then they may even actually get deeply offended by what someone says to them. And then they've got a real choice. And often stuff we don't even know is in our heart comes up. You know, this happened for me um, uh, back in about 1992. We bought sections side by side, best friends, surfing buddies, Mark and I. And then this, this girl in our youth group called Rhonda, um, she has cerebral palsy, so tremendous difficulty hold, moving and muscle spasms and things don't work how they're supposed to and can't talk very well. And, and she would always be on the sickness benefit. She still is today. Um, so not very much earning income possibility at all, living at home with her mother, growing up, um, always expecting that she will just live with her mother for the rest of her life until her mother passes away. She goes to a Rama Christian Fellowship, and while she's over there, it's a Christ, uh, yeah, Christian Fellowship, she's given a prophecy. She comes back after Christmas with this prophecy. She gives it to Mark and I. And in this prophecy, it says, God is going to build you a house. Mark goes, this is the Lord. So we together take it to our senior pastor, Murray Cottle. And Murray says, yeah, I think this is God. We, we've got a task. We, we've got to build a house for this this, this woman, so that she has freedom and independence as a, as a, as a woman. And um, so he says, I want you two to lead the charge on this, and you two are to project manage it. Now, Mark and I are polar opposites, and um, I like order and systems and budgets and decisions, and once you've made a decision, you keep to that decision. And for Mark, decisions are just thoughts <laughs> that are adaptable and can be changed. And so it wasn't very long before I was hugely offended by my friend Mark. And we got to the stage where the house was built, but it was built at the cost of our friendship. And Rhonda lived next door to us. We bought the section next door. And for five years, I was deeply offended with my friend Mark. Our front doors faced each other. We saw each other every day. We never spoke. It affected our families. Sandra and Lisa said they wish they'd just said, this is not us, this is you boys, sort out your, your problems, we are going to stay friends. But it wasn't that way. Because when bitterness dives down into your heart because you're deeply offended by what someone's done and said to you, it's so easy to gossip. And everyone in your orbit becomes affected by the poison and the gossip and the blaming and he has to make the first move. All of that went on for five years until finally God was able to break through into my heart and show me my stubbornness and my stupidity and, and my pride and all of those things because of this person that I was journeying so closely with. He would come to church, and if I was, say, preaching on that day, he would come to church till I preached, and when I stood up to preach, he would stand up and go surfing. Just could not be in the same room together. 
1997, we began to put our, li- our friendships back together again at the very same time that God called us to come here. And it's interesting, we, we, we are good friends, but it's interesting, Mark has um, motor neuron disease, and I'd always planned that. I basically wasted five years of my, of my life of friendship with my best friend. And we can do that so, so easily. And friends, you might not be as stupid and as stubborn as I am, but isn't it true that relational difficulties can happen to every single one of us from time to time? And the father looks over the edge of heaven and goes, oh, good. (laughs) He's not disturbed. Look, John's going to grow up eventually. Because I didn't understand how much I was appreciated by God and how much I was appreciated by other people. So what Mark thought of me became huge. But if I had known then to now, I think I would have been able to treat that as a smallish thing and not allow it to rob me of five years of my friendship with one of my best friends. So this is huge. You actually taking it on board here and spending enough time with God that it begins to settle down here that he thinks of you as rich inheritance is important because there will be people and there will be issues out there in your future where you just need to say, settle down and keep walking. You know, I had a pastor friend um, say to me uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he said, I'm prepared to work with you but I want you to know you've done things that I do not appreciate and you have hurt me. And I could see in his eyes that he was, um, had a lot of emotion there. Paul, let me just jump back. Paul has pastored these people. So he knows all of the issues that various people have. He knows who are the opinionated ones in the church who he even knows the people that didn't like him. Because we've got to be honest, in any, in any group of people, you're never liked by everybody at the one time. It just doesn't happen. But Paul, when he writes this prayer, he doesn't major on any of those things at all. He says, when I think of, when I think of you guys, I'm just filled with thankfulness and I pray for you. Let me come back into today when my uh, friend said to me, and I use the word friend deliberately, said to me, I I don't appreciate you, and you have hurt me. Immediately, a tape started to form in my head. What have I done? What did I say? Is he right? Was it his problem? Is it my problem? And I thought of my message that I was preparing. I thought of Paul's response to someone who was saying, I don't appreciate you. And Paul just said, whenever I think of you, I just pray for you. I pray to bless you. And you know, if you allow tapes to play in your head about scenarios and things people have said and things people did in your life, it can go on for five years or more. But the moment you say, I'm not going to have that tape anymore, and you do what Paul did and you say, Every time I think of you, I am going to bless your life. 
I am going to pray God's will into your life. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be your best advocate before the Father in heaven. It totally diffuses the, the tape. You know, um, what's that um, uh, program where this tape will self-destruct in seven seconds? Yeah. You can even play the music in your head to get it kind of the right setting. And then you just pray for them. It is the most powerfully freeing thing we can possibly do. So today, I want to say to you, friends, this is, this is God saying to us, is he going to do it? Is he going to use the tools I've given? Or is he going to drop down onto a eye-to-eye, arm-to-arm, blow-to-blow level with this person and try and slug it out? Or is he, gonna, he or she going to rise above it and begin to bless that person and not allow the tapes to actually pray, play? And then I just want to close with this thought. Maybe the music team can come. Why not return the compliment to the people who have blessed you? There are people behind you and around you who are your best friends, and they do pray for you. Do you know who they are? As I thought about this, I realized one of the people who has blessed my life more than maybe anyone else is a guy by the name of Peter Titchener and his wife, Margie Titchener. And if you've been part of the church for more than 10 years, you'll remember their names. Because when we came down here, they just got behind us. And Peter got in his car and would drive down here for the first couple of years, just so he, at least once a year, so that he could be with us. And he spent probably thousands of dollars on us. Um, over, over the, the, the next years of time. He was scared of flying, and he'd never flown. So he, he, he prayed and worked on himself to the point where he could get on a plane so that he could fly down. And he would come down sometimes twice a year. He and Margie would come down sometimes twice a year. At times, they would pay for us and fly us up to Auckland. They just, every time we were in their presence, they just prayed for us, they encouraged us, they blessed us. So as I was thinking of who's actually blessed me the most, I was thinking of Peter. So I picked up my phone and I ring Peter and and I I just wanted to tell him, you may not realize it, how much you have affected me, Sandra and I, and blessed us in our ministry. And, And it was a really timely call because Peter's got Parkinson's and he's just starting to lose it in, in the dementia areas here. And he, possibly he has a rest home um, in his future ahead of him. But he, he said to me, he said, you just don't know, John, how, how helpful it has been and how much I appreciate you ringing and telling me that you appreciated me helping you. He said, in my stage of life now, not many people come, but he said, I sit here and I think, what has what I've done for Jesus Christ made a difference? Has some of the things and sacrifices that I've made to help people made a difference? And he said, here you are, you get on your phone, you ring me, and you tell me this. Who are those people for you? And what could you do to be able to bless back into their life? And maybe even more important looking forward, because Seb's going to be talking about mentoring, and that's what Peter was doing for me. Peter and Margie were doing for Sandra and I. Who out there in the future are the people that you can be big enough not to be worried about anything else, but just seek to bless them as well. God, is appreciate, God appreciates us. He calls us his inheritance. Paul appreciates uh, the people in Ephesus, and you and I have people who have appreciated us 
it's a gift that needs to keep on going forward. What's God saying to you today? Who can you encourage? 